Welcome to the first ever episode of the Novelty Podcast. I'm Sadie. And I'm Mar. And this is the podcast where we read the books so you don't have to. And even though we're called the Novelty Podcast, we're going to be reading more than just novels. Yeah, we're going to be reading essays. We're going to be reading nonfiction. We're going to be reading maybe some self-help books. Um, Anything that's interesting to us that we think you will find interesting as well. Um, And we're going to talk about it. So, and old books Older books, maybe that you've been, you're embarrassed, you have never read them, and that's okay, <laughs> but we're going to read them, we're going to tell you all about them so that you know what you're talking about, and Come you on. can be smart women or men of the world. Come on, that's what's up. So who are we? And why should you care? <laughs> okay. Like I said, my name is Sadie, I'm 25, I've been married for five years, um, I come from a very big family. Um, and I love literature. I love reading. I am going back to school for an English degree. So I'm just, I really enjoy reading. I really love it. And, um, that's me. Yeah. And like I said, my name is Mar. I am 22 years old. I am a mother, a wife. I have two beautiful children, one that is on the way. Um, and just, I also wanted to learn how to read a little bit more. I used to love reading as a child and I met Sadie and she just reignited that passion of reading in me. And so we thought it would be so cool to just share this passion with you guys. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking of being a mother, our first book today that we're going to be discussing, Sadie, what's it called? It's called What My Mother and I Don't Talk About. And oh my gosh, it's juicy. It's juicy. Boy, oh boy. It is so juicy. Um, okay, first impressions, Mar. What did you think this book was going to be about before you started reading? Honestly, when I read the title of What My Mother and I Don't Talk About, I thought it would be a little bit on the deeper side, which it is, because mm-hmm. it's like, I feel like everyone has such a unique relationship with their mothers, yeah. some really good, some really bad. And mm-hmm. so it's like, man, these people are going to be sharing basically their deepest secrets mm-hmm. that they have yet to share with their yes. mothers. So I thought it was going to be Jose. Yes. Okay, same. I had been recommended this book from a couple of different people, but I'd never like looked into it. I didn't know exactly what it's going to be about, but it is, uh, yeah, all everything on the front and everything on the flap jacket in the back. They all all talk about it being heartwarming, but then also traumatic and mm-hmm. resilient and painful and honest. So, yeah, I didn't know quite what it was going to be, but I definitely thought it was going to be a little bit more um, intense. Yes. Before we get into this book, we do want to give you guys a trigger warning. This book deals with themes of verbal abuse and sexual abuse and physical violence. And while we will not be addressing the events in detail, we do want to make sure that you are aware of these themes before you continue listening. Yeah, it's a heavy one. Um, Maybe don't listen to it if your kids are in the car, but um, really important themes and topics. But we just wanted you to be aware that those are the themes we're going to be talking about today. And obviously it goes without saying, we're not experts. Um, We're just sharing our thoughts on these books. So we are not professionals, We are, but we are sharing our thoughts. Um, And so they might not, every thought we share might not be for you, but um, yeah, we just wanted to put that out there. Obviously it goes without saying, but we just wanted to make sure we put that out there. This book is called What My Mother and I Don't Talk About. Um, And then the subtitle is 15 Writers Break the Silence, edited by Michelle Philgate. So this book is structured in 15 different essays, um, and it's really interesting. So on the back it says, when Michelle Philgate set out to write an essay about her abusive stepfather, it took 12 years of revising to realize that the essay was actually about how his actions affected Michelle's relationship with her mother. When the essay was finally published, Michelle's experience resonated with thousands of people, including writers like Anne Lamont and Rebecca Solnit. 
The enormous response sparked the idea for this essay collection, which candidly explores the fraught, funny, and life-shaping relationships 15 writers share with their mothers. So I feel like that is a very like clear example of kind of the different stories that are going to be in this book. Um, lots of different writers, um, men and women, that are talking about their various kind of relationships with their mothers. Um, some are... Like, very few are mm. positive, honestly. Yeah. Like, very few are happy. Um, but all of them kind of talk about the ways that they relate to their moms and how that's affected them. Um, and so the very first uh, essay in the whole book is actually by the editor, Michelle Philgate. And it's called What My Mother and I Don't Talk About. And I feel like the very first line is actually very representative of the whole book. It says, our mothers are our first homes, and that's why we're always trying to return to them. So I thought that was, like, interesting because it's, like, the whole book is full of essays of, for whatever reason, like, even through these horrible relationships with their moms, like, they still want to interact with them. They still want to have some kind of relationship um, with them. So I felt like that uh, line that she started off with was really telling for the whole essay. So like she talked about in the um, intro of the book, um, Basically, she thought that this was an essay about her stepfather, but really it's an essay about her mother. And so Mm -hmm. it kind of opens up with um, saying how her mother is super hard for her to know. Um, She always felt close to her mom through cooking. So she talks about how she would make these great meals and she'd always think of her mom. So when you're starting to read this, you think, oh, maybe her mom's past, like her mom's not in the picture at all. But no, her mom's very much alive and like two hours away, like mm-hmm. very close by. Yeah. But um, she talks about how while thinking about her mom through food, she is reminded, though, of her stepfather. Yeah. And so she talks about how um, she's afraid of her stepfather. And she has these memories of like when her mom would make this amazing food, how her father would actually end up, her stepfather would end up throwing it and um, basically being violent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she says, now my mother saves all of her cooking skills for her husband. Now she serves him food at their farmhouse in the country, in their and their condo in the city. Now my mother no longer cooks for me. So kind of like this idea of how um, her mother might have been there and taking care of her through food and comfort, and was a present mother in some ways. But that doesn't mean she was a good mom or safe mom, because um, it kind of goes on. The story is horrible. It goes on to talk about how her stepfather was like just a slimy man. Yeah. Like, his- the, speaking of this, yeah, the, the stepfather, if you this want to really great. get a good a good look at him, his favorite quote that he would say to Michelle quite often was, what are the two things that make the world go round? Um, and she, when he would say stuff like that, it was kind of a good way for her to know what was coming. Yeah. Um, and she would answer sex and money. And he would say, that's right. Now, if you're extra, extra nice to me, maybe I can get you into that school you wanted to go to. So he was also a manipulative man. Yeah. He was slimy. He was gross. Sexual was, abuse. Yeah. Physical abuse. Yeah. There was a scene they talk about where they're in the car and he's like got his hand on her leg, essentially. Mm-hmm. And not doing anything, but like making her highly uncomfortable, yeah. making her wait there. And then she went home and told her mom about what happened. And her mom was like, oh, he was joking. Don't worry. Yeah. So basically, the, Michelle's growing up in a house that she feels very unsafe, even though her mother is very present. Um, and then the kind of theme of food continues. She talks about how this one time she comes home from school and there's like a, a delicious coffee cake, right, yeah. that this mom made. She's like, yum, great, goes and eats it. And she goes into basically anaphylactic shock and her throat's closing up and it's horrible. And 
her mom just is like, oh, I didn't leave a note for you. I'm sorry. Yeah, because there were cru- there's the crushed walnuts on top. She yeah. happens to be allergic to them. She calls 911, yeah. dials all these things, and all her mom can say is like, I forgot to leave a note for you. And so just like how her mother is technically very present by taking care of her needs through food. She's she's there, but she isn't. she's not a safe mom. She's not believing her daughter when she's talking about the um abuse from her stepfather like she's just she's not present at all um and so and the way her mom just goes about saying like you know like i forgot to leave a note like later she goes into how she feels like everything in her family always gets swept under the rug with the abuse the way her mom doesn't pay attention to her the fact that her mom almost killed her Mm -hmm. with walnuts like everything in their family is how her mother grew up as well it gets swept under the rug yep she talks about how they would go to church and act like everything's so fine. Everything's Mm -hmm. easy. Nothing's a problem. But how obviously at home everything was not okay. Um, And it talks about how the more that goes on, the more her mother doesn't acknowledge what happened to her or doesn't believe her, the more gap and distance is between them. Um, And so she talks about what she wanted to say was, I need you to believe me. I need you Mm -hmm. to listen. I need you. But what I say is nothing. Nothing until I say everything, but articulating what happened isn't enough. She's still married to him. The gap widens. So the story goes on that she doesn't leave yeah. the stepfather, which is crazy. Like she she doesn't leave him ever. Um, and so the story goes on to kind of talk about how she her mom sees ghosts. And I thought that was so random. Like so interesting though, because it's like kind of alluding to that fact that her mom maybe isn't, I don't know. It, her mom is I think it kind of yeah all all there I don't know it just goes to show that her mom maybe has her own things going on I think she also it shows that she Michelle can't trust her mom because yeah. the the part where it goes into ghosts is they're uh, like on this trip and she feels yeah. weird about this room and um mm-hmm. her mom says oh no you're fine and by the time they leave her mother's like actually you know I saw a ghost there I just didn't want to tell you I didn't want to scare you mm-hmm. and it just leaves her once again being like oh I can't trust you yes yeah so it's really interesting so it continues on and Michelle grows up. Um, and she talks about how she still tries to communicate with her mom, but it's now mostly through group texts with her older sister. So she's not even kind of com- in um, communicating with her individually. So she talks about how she like will reach out to her, ask her to come over when she's in the area, like right next to her, and she never she never hears from her. She never um, gets that close with her. Um, so yeah, it's just a really interesting story. I think um, something that kind of it leaves you with is basically. Her mom posts a picture. This is present day. Michelle's grown up. She has her own kids. She has her own family. And um, her mom posts this picture on Facebook. And she always puts the caption she always writes is, I love you past the sun and the moon and the stars. She'd always say to me when I was little, but I just wanted her to love me here now on earth. Wow. Yeah. So I think ultimately this story left me feeling like she is, she's come to understand that her mom was there for her in certain ways, but that doesn't make her a good mom or a safe mom. Like her mom was there maybe physically. Her mom was there providing like food and like comfort in those ways, but she ultimately never left the stepdad. So she never believed her Mm -hmm. and she never actually made her feel safe by leaving him. So Mm -hmm. she never even believed her in the first place, her daughter. Yeah. And she ultimately never left him. 
Yeah. And putting out like this thing on Facebook, I love you past the sun and the moon yeah. and the stars, like her mother's way of like yeah. reaching out to her after all these years. It's just like, I feel like it would be more of like another thorn in the side yeah. versus like I'm trying to apologize because yeah. she's she was unwilling to leave for her own daughter's sake. And mm-hmm. who knows whether she was scared right. or she really didn't want to believe that yeah. she married someone that could be so horrible. Yeah. Um, who knows what goes through people's minds yeah. that way. But as a mother, if my child came to me and told me these things, I would want nothing to do right. With the person that was hurting my child. Because right. as a mother, your number one your number one right. reason of being a mother is to keep those babies safe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. I thought it was just so interesting. I think a l- it's very relatable in the sense that her mother was technically present mm-hmm. in her life, right? Her mother was there. But in so many ways, she was not a safe space for Michelle, yeah. the writer and the daughter. So I think... Yeah, this story was really interesting. I think it was very relatable. I thought in in some ways relatable. I think it can make people feel very understood. Um, but in other ways, it's just so infuriating when you're, yeah, like you're saying you have a child it's telling you these things. Mm-hmm. I think half the issue sometimes is that children don't even feel safe to communicate that. Yeah. And she was trying to tell her mom this. Mm-hmm. The bravery and, it took yes. to do that. Yeah. But then she ultimately didn't even listen to her. So. Yeah, really interesting, really, really well written. And so that is what my mother and I don't talk about. We're going to be moving down um, a few essays here in this book onto an essay called While These Things Slash Feel American to Me by Keys Lamont. We wanted to share this essay with you guys because it is written by a male, a black male. And we thought it was super important to uh, show awareness also because this is talking about sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. about how this can happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. So we start off at the beginning of the essay. Keys Lamont is a nine-year-old young boy who goes to camp and he gets called obese. He he's getting a. physical done and Mm -hmm. on the little card it's written obese but he doesn't understand what it means and so people start making fun of him saying like it means that you're obese you Mm -hmm. idiot basically just just really coming from him coming for him and so he says a quote it says i look up obese when i get home my babysitter comes over when she leaves i feel less obese um and this babysitter's name is renata it happens to be a camp counselor Mm -hmm. um and basically this is introducing that he is being abused by his babysitter by a camp counselor Mm -hmm. um and he goes back and he starts spreading um what had happened the second day of camp he tells the twin who said that he was obese that he has seen Renata, the camp counselor, naked and all these things, kind of trying to seem cooler in a way, maybe try to make up for the fact that he was just made fun of. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're saying, well, no way. There's no way that you could be obese. And he's like, well, I know that she has this birthmark, Mm -hmm. basically. And so next thing you know, by the end of the week, there's a lot of people who are calling Renata a skeezer behind her back and to her face to the point where she now knows what's going on, but they don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. She goes out of her way to absolutely avoid him and he kind of goes out of his way to avoid her but she still comes over two nights out of a week and she is babysitting him and number one like Ronaldo also just to give a little background this is a letter to his mother something Mm -hmm. that he has never shared with her before Renata is one of her students Mm -hmm. and that is how she had ended up picking her to be Mm -hmm. a babysitter for her son Um, so it's just crazy that it's someone that her mom thought his mom that thought that maybe he could trust yeah. um but in reality she takes advantage um we don't want to get too explicit here but basically it ends up kind of going into a place where he feels chosen mm-hmm. by renata and chosen more than his mother like towards her mm-hmm. than his mother because there is a quote in here that says even though like i 
it's not direct, but even though like I felt loved by her, I don't mm-hmm. think I felt loved by you because at least she was willing to touch me. Mm-hmm. Kind of showing um, back then and even sometimes to this day that African-American um, just family style of being more afraid for their children's lives than really focusing on being there in that uh relationship with their children and he says at least she wanted to touch me for reasons completely american that rough touch felt like love to me because she could have been roughly touching any other black child in our neighborhood which this was like breaking my heart absolutely breaking my Mm -hmm. heart because it goes on to say that even 30 years later you know that he is still feeling these days on days when my body and mind are most ra- raggedy i want to congratulate myself myself for not being trump or cosby mm-hmm. i want to source my harmful behavior um yeah it's just he, he's just like he's still blaming himself for yeah. all these years later once he finds out uh that renata was also someone that was being abused mm-hmm. um at home by her boyfriend yeah. all these things and kind of starts placing himself as maybe he was also an abuser to her as well mm-hmm. and kind of starts blaming himself in yeah. a way which is like absolutely so backwards yeah because he was the child he yeah. was a younger person she was the babysitter there putting in protection and it goes on to talk about how he says last year i finished a piece of art i started for you meaning his mother at 12 years old i wanted to artfully explore the shape and consequence to our bodies of not reckoning with so many familial and national secrets. You agreed that I should call that piece of art called Heavy. So he wrote this other memoir he's talking about, just, yeah, how family secrets, how you're, the way you're raised, how the way you're perceived you're of your body, the way that people talk to you about your bodies when you're young, how that all shapes how you grow up and how you view love, how you view yourself. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. It's it's really heartbreaking. I think he does an excellent job, though, of talking about um, how he uses his um, interactions and his experience Mm. to talk about things on a national level. Like he comments kind of on the state of um, America, the state of parenting um, and yeah, how just how it all kind of shapes how he affects love. I think that was really interesting how he said, um, I know how Renata made me feel. I'm not sure I loved you. I know I loved how you sometimes made me feel. Yeah. And I thought that was just so sad, too, because it's like, if you're that young, it absolutely confuses how you view love. Yeah. Because a lot of, I mean, one of the ways that you can view love is like if people are willing to be close to you, if they're willing to touch you, hug you, like if they're willing to be present. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really, it's really, he writes it so well, but it's really heartbreaking about how Renata made him feel that way. And he said, I'm not sure I feel loved by you. I loved how you sometimes made me feel, though. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting, too. Yeah. And while he's writing this, uh, he says, I discovered that I'd never been honest with anyone on Earth. Mm. I discovered that while structural abuses dictate much of our lives, the folks I've been most harmful to in this country are people that I thought I loved. Mm. Um, yeah. It's just it's crazy. Even as a 30 year old man. You know, mm-hmm. writing this, he is still 30 years later after 39 years old, almost 40 uh, after writing this, that he is still feeling these things. And uh, I love at the end here, he says, after reading heavy, you wrote back to me. So he shares his art with her and his own mother says, in my remembrance, I hear our laughter, our arguments, my insanity worry about your safety your good grades through fifth grade all your basketball games in rural outposts your choices in girlfriends the new orleans and memphis trips um yeah just like she she remembers all these things in a different way Mm -hmm. she says that um she said 
the underdogs and yes the fear that I'd lose you too early either because you would turn your back on me or be shot from the sky I lived in fear when perhaps I should have willed myself to live with more courage less tough love and more conviction I took some of the wrong choices and so it's just yeah it I I mean it, it goes on a little bit more about Renata at the end and how his heart broke when she left half naked out of his house with her boyfriend, you know, when he, she was supposed to be babysitting mm-hmm. him, that heartbreak for the first time, you know, wasn't even with the right type of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't even with his mom. He said, I felt like I lost the love of the second grown woman who had chosen me. So yeah. it, it, it kind of pointed to the fact that he already felt like he lost his mom's yeah. love. And I think, yeah, it. I mean, the essay ends with really good questions. And he always brings it back. He always takes his experience and brings it back to what can we as a society do about it, which I think is really impactful. So he says, can you tell me what questions matter to you? Can Mm. we spend the rest of our lives talking about those questions? Can we please get better at loving each other in America? Yeah. So I think, yeah, he raises such, through his own horrific experiences, he allows it to raise questions of what does that mean about how we view our bodies from an early age. How does that mean we accept and view love if these traumatic things have happened to us when you're young? How does that shape who we are? How does that shape how we raise kids in the future? So he does, I think he does a great job of basically bringing some of these questions up and kind of posing it to the reader and being like, so what are you, like you go and think about it. What are you going to go do? What are you going to do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think also just like if you're listening to this and you're hearing about this, you know, young black man, I think we just want to let you guys know that like, obviously you're not alone in this. If this is something that you have gone through, you are going through. I think at the end of this, we'll maybe put a number in there for somebody that you can call. You know, Mm -hmm. it's uh, this unfortunately is a normal thing in America. And so I think it's so important that he says, like, can we please get better at loving each other Mm -hmm. in America? Because in America, we don't treat each other very well. We just don't. Yeah, Um, we don't. We're not showing each other the right way to love. And so but that that was while these things slash feel American to me by Keys Lamont. All right, so the next essay is called My Mother's Gatekeeper by Kathy Hanur. So basically this story is obviously about her mother, but it's a huge part of it is her relationship to her dad and how that actually comes in the way of her own relationship with her mom. So it starts off um, talking about her mother in her 70s, how she gets her own email address and how this opens up the door for all this like private communication that she's never had before with her mom. So she talks about how her parents met in 1953 at this party in New Jersey. Um, her mom was 16 and a half. So, so young, young. So young. And how um, her future dad was newly 18. So he was a sophomore at Cornell pre-med, which is actually very important to the story because he's kind of like he's narciss- he's he's very um, sophisticated and he takes a lot of pride in like mm. where people go to school yeah. and what they're like if they're prestigious. Like he's very uh, he cares what other people think. Yes. About him. Yes. Very aware of that. Um, so he was at school, sophomore at Cornell. Basically talks about how they were at this dance and she was like a quiet, studious, good girl. And he, she thought he was super sophisticated and funny and how she approached him at the dance and they talked and all that. Um, and then later she told her mom that she met the man she would marry. And then it says, that was 61 years, four children and six grandchildren ago. I'm mm-hmm. the oldest of those children. The one who, it seemed, is always looking for answers, especially about my mother. So... Basically, it goes on to talk about how her mom getting this email, this private email, was like the first time in her her whole adult life that she's been able to talk to her mom without her dad interrupting. Yeah. 
and how basically her dad is extremely um, controlling and domineering and like he literally had to be on every phone call like she would call the house to talk to her mom and her dad would pick up and then ask them the mom to pick up on the other line be like oh she's there it's fine keep talking to her mm-hmm. and if you want to talk to her about anything private or maybe like specific to being a woman so like childbirth or anything like the dad would have his own thoughts about it mm-hmm. and try to like chime in and so basically kind of goes on to talk about how all these instances of her dad being extremely demanding or embarrassing or rude in public, basically like very immature yeah, and extremely controlling of her mom and how she would start kind of trying to ask her mom, like, does it bother her? Like, is that, is it a problem? So she's trying to understand her mom and get to know her more. And cause her mom is so sweet, mm-hmm. so lovely, but like won't get into anything deep. She's a quiet woman. Yeah. She won't like talk about anything. And so, but not that she wants to be. No, she but doesn't she, have the chance to be. Right. Yeah. And so her her um Kathy, the writer of this, the daughter in this, um, kind of talks about how she said, Well, I had long understood my father. By this point, my mother still baffled me. Who was she beyond the energetic, greed-eyed teacher, tutor, friendly neighbor who, despite being barely five foot one and ninety pounds soaking wet, lived on black coffee and thin thin cheese sandwiches? One tablespoon of yogurt each morning with exactly two walnuts to shop. Like, literally <laughs> very, like, I don't know. What is it? She was a simple Straight woman. Lady. Yeah, like, she's she... really, like, just simple and whatever. And all of her grandkids love her. And so she would say, um, it writes, I would ask her now, along with this, why didn't she protest my father's bad behavior to her and her children and others? Or did she think there wasn't actually a problem and I was just oversensitive. So kind of how basically her mother would never speak up or say anything when her father was being so verbally abusive, honestly, mm-hmm. and aggressive and so controlling and so domineering. Um, and so it kind of just goes into that. And basically she finally gets this chance to talk to her mom one-on-one when she's going to write this essay. So she decides to write this essay. Her parents are this time 82, 81. Um, and so she calls when her dad's literally gone. She has to wait till her dad is actually not even at the house yeah. to call and talk to her mom. And so um, the mom just has basically is fine with this relationship. And what I thought mm. was so interesting, it's like you can't, convince someone to want to have a different relationship dynamic than they have even if you see it's problematic yeah and so in this it's so interesting because um the daughter would say um when you two met did he have the temper he has now if not when did you first notice it so she talks about how he didn't and life got more complicated and things got worse and he got angry and there is like he lost his son um ultimately you find that out a little bit later but I do think – so, yeah, his son – his her, so her brother moved to San Diego for graduate school in his 20s um, because San Diego is where the accident happened. So it says, if only he had been close to home, the thinking likely goes my father could have watched over him better. So this kind of alludes to the sense of, like, control that he feels like he needs to have now yeah. on all of his family. But – Ultimately, yeah, it's so interesting because she writes, I also didn't and still don't analyze marriage or relationships the way your generation does. We were naive age, I think. So that's a mom talking to her daughter saying like, your generation really is analytical and skeptical of marriage. Like we were young. She was so young when she met him, like 16 and a half. Yeah, it's crazy. And so she's just like, (laughs) we liked each other and we got married. 
And so all these things came from it. And so I think what's interesting too is she talks about like, how do you feel when he yells at us or talks over you? Like, how do you feel about that? And she still kind of talks about like, oh yeah, like she says he's very nasty on the phone, but he thinks anything I do with the children, he should be a part of. So it's just so interesting. It's like she still kind of makes excuses for him yeah. or tries to understand him. Definitely, yeah. And I feel like within like the nuances of marriage, like you are, you see so many things. So you are the person that understands your spouse the most. Yeah. And so, but what's so infuriating is like she, the mother has let her husband get in the way of her relationship with her daughters. Mm-hmm. Like she's not close to them. Yeah, she's not. Because of all this. And it's so interesting, too, because she's like, but that's the th- crazy thing is that she's OK with it. Yeah. She's OK with it because yeah. she's like, I picked it. Yes. She's like, and the fact that she mm. has lived oh. so much life with him, she seems to be willing to have so many excuses for him because mm-hmm. she's like, well, he has a right to like feel this way. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he should know everything that's going on with his kids. Yeah. And then later in their interview, she's like, I, I've wanted to be that type of mother that could be there for you yeah. without him looking over my shoulder. And I, it, you start to see her kind of take back mm-hmm. what she never really that, had. Yeah. She's like, no, I do get my own email, right. whether you like yes. it or when not. She's literally in her seventies, but she does get her own email. Yeah. 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 And then it kind of talks about to wrap it up. She says the mystery of my mother is solved in, and it's this, there is no mystery. Mm. And in fact, it's my only desire to make it otherwise that's kept from it being a downright banal, 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 (laughs) (laughs) banal, like her own. What does that mean? Wait, let's look it up. What does that mean? Banal. Hold on. Have you ever read that word before? No. No. Okay. Okay. Banal. So lacking in originality as to be obvious and boring. Okay. So it says like songs for banal repeat words. Okay. So she says, like her own father, my mother deals with life's frustrations and devastations mostly by writing them out and not analyzing too much. By keeping busy, turning a blind eye if needed. Help. Oh, bro. Turning a blind eye yeah. if needed. That's insane. Helping the truly disadvantaged when she can and not letting the shiz get her down. Okay. Honestly... This is what makes me so infuriated. Well, so this is what this is what I think the story is about. It's like her mom's shows a relationship with her father. And even though it changed through the course of their marriage, like losing their son and him being so controlling and all that, she didn't say anything or speak up until I mean, obviously until their 70s and yeah. in tiny ways. But this story ultimately she ends with being saying, and my story about love, yes, but also about forgiveness is mine. So she kind of ends it saying like Basically, there's nothing deeper there. It's her mom has been fine with this relationship with her husband. While it annoys her sometimes, she doesn't choose to speak up or fight it or get out of it. Mm -hmm. And how she has to accept that, that that's a relationship her parents have chosen. And that that's a relationship her mom's chosen to have with her as a result. Yeah. And I think I think (laughs) that's the craziest part. Yeah, it it, that's the craziest part is that once again we see a story where um, even though these are letters essays written to mothers, right? Right. We see a lot of the reasons why mothers might not be the best mothers is because of the relationships that they had with other people Mm -hmm. and how they let them affect Mm -hmm. their children. Mm 
And so that's let's go there. Let's go there. And so it's just it's very interesting to me. I think it's very normal for especially a daughter to want personal time with her mother. It's like, oh, mom, I'm growing in this type of ways or these things are happening to me. What do I do? And it's natural. I think that you might get a little embarrassed. I would be so annoyed if my dad was present for every conversation I ever wanted to have. Yeah. Like, exactly, because I, I wonder if the, I wonder if her father ever had a problem with her having a one-on-one conversation with him, or did he ever mm-hmm. always feel the need like, well, let me get your mother, let me yeah. let me pull her in. It doesn't seem to be that no. way, and it does seem that this is something like he is controlling in yes. the way of like he doesn't want something to happen, yeah, like his son, yeah. you know, and right. so in but a way, how much like, but just because that happened mm-hmm. doesn't give him permission to then use that and basically traumatize the rest of his family. Yeah. I don't know if he recognizes that that's what he right. was doing, though. Because then that... Therapy. Therapy. Yes. Therapy. But... You know what? But Older generations exactly, don't usually do that. Because she was even saying, like, they're naive. A gen- she felt mm-hmm. like they were a naive generation. The mother did. Because she's like, we didn't analyze marriage like that. Yeah. So then even to be like, um, have you thought perhaps maybe that what has happened mm-hmm. to you and your son and the way that you... Because it, it comes up a lot. It's yeah, not it like, oh... They tiptoe around him, and once in a while, they say, "Hey, you're you're very vocal, and you're controlling, and you're yeah. rude, and you're." It's like all the time they talk about it. Yeah, and so it's like, yeah, it's just basically a shocking story. I think ultimately, though, it is a really it's a good lesson, and it's a hard lesson to learn of like other people's dynamics are their own, and yeah. you can point out things, you can speak to them about it, you can bring things up. But ultimately, you cannot change it. You can't control other people. No, you can't control other people. And so you have to accept the relationship that you have. So even though she wants a different relationship with her mom, she has to understand that, well, that's that's yeah. the dynamic that she's chosen. Kind of like you were saying, of she let her relationship with her husband yeah. completely affect her relationship with her kids. And ultimately, you just have to accept that. So Yeah. And that is my mother's gatekeeper. All right. And then our last essay we're going to talk about is called Are You Listening by Andre Eichmann. So it's the same. It's also by a male perspective, which was, I thought, really interesting as well. Talks about basically um, his experience growing up with a mother who was deaf, but he didn't quite understand that until later. So it talks about how I always knew my mother couldn't hear, but I can't remember when it dawned on me that she'd always be deaf. So essentially it's his experience growing up with, as I said, like a mother who for him was very normal. He didn't think anything was different. He thought the way she spoke was normal. Um, but he come he came to realize obviously that she was deaf. So it talks about how his mother was born in Alexandria in nineteen twenty four to a French speaking Jewish family. So this in this time it was not there was no kind of deaf pride. Um deafness was stigmatized. It was so looked down on. It was like put you in a separate room, mm-hmm. don't even act like you're there kind of yeah. perspective. It was really horrible and talks about how is she or he writes, if you weren't ashamed of it, you were taught to be. So just kind of like how you, if you were deaf, you absolutely need to look like and blend in. Like you understood what was going on. You did not make it apparent. And so um, it talks about how his mom was initially rolled into a Jewish French day school, but her parents and teachers realized that um, they couldn't accommodate a deaf child. So they sent her to a specialized school in Paris was essentially a finishing school. Like it was obviously for um, the deaf community, but it was mostly a finishing school. So like you learn how to walk and sit and basically, again, still act like nothing was wrong. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of this book talks and kind of points out about how she was so beautiful. And I was like thinking about how that deaf school or the finishing school, the, uh, the one in Paris, I was like, they 
help accentuate almost the things to overlook being deaf. So what what even though if you don't have a problem with it and you're you participate in your community and you're fine with, with being deaf and that they still want to make sure that you don't look at or you don't look mm. the part or that people wouldn't understand that. And so when they talk about later in the book talks about when my father met her she wasn't yet 20 he was stunned by her beauty her warmth her unusual mixture of meekness and in your face boldness so it kind of talks about how they met and she again compensated she was so stunning and so beautiful but how it was very juxtaposed with when she started speaking it was very jarring for people like they didn't understand they didn't know because she was an incredible lip reader she you would just never have known it um so it talks about how though her deafness became kind of a wall in between their relationships. So how her dad loved, um, or his dad loved classical music and she'd never been to a concert. And he would read long Russian novels and modern French writers. Um, and she preferred fashion magazines. So just kind of talked about how they were different and how um, the deafness was, while not a problem and not insurmountable for her, she was living a full life, mm-hmm. how it was a problem for him, essentially. And he, she would have her um, deaf friends over all the time, and they would be hanging out in the living room and communicating and speaking, talking, and how that would bother the father. And he would leave, and it just, he didn't know how to step into that world, and he didn't know how to be um, understanding in, in those situations. And so, Kind of talks, it goes on to talk about how the mother um, never really learned English, but she learned like every other language. She spoke and understood French, learned Greek and basic Arabic. And then when they were in Italy for a period of time, she would pick up Italian. Yeah. And basically because she would could lip read. And if she didn't understand it, she would pretend she did until she got it. Yeah. So just crazy that this woman is like obviously brilliant. So brilliant and also beautiful and all these things and how her husband still like this, the deafness. He knew that when he got married to her. I just think that was so interesting, too. But um, and the fact that they like her and all her friends had their own language. Yeah. <laughs> like it says yeah. that they use a language without an alphabet, just a shorthand lingo of hand and facial signs mm-hmm. whose vocabulary seldom exceeded 500 words. Yeah. Like that's like I, I just think of when like my brother and I were younger and like we come up with our own little language with like yeah. the hands and like yes. acting like you know ASL but you don't like it's like yeah. you know it's like they were able to find a way to communicate right. which also shows how smart she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think yeah, it's just so interesting. So this perspective from the son is just kind of learning more about her as she's older and kind of understanding like while he exp- he had an amazing childhood and he. felt loved by his mother actually Mm. and he this is this is a happy story this is one that he felt love for and he had so much compassion for his mom and so basically talks about how um through modern technology as they got older it was able to open up a new door for his mom to communicate with her friends and to communicate with her family um and so just kind of talking about how basically this is like his experience learning more and more about his mom the kind of woman that she was um, and I thought it was just a really unique look into a community that I don't know much about. I don't know. I don't have a friend in the deaf community. I don't have uh, much experience and knowledge about it. So I thought it was really interesting learning more about it. Um, and talks about after his father passed away that she insisted on living alone. And so basically how through different pieces of technology and then finally the iPad, he was able to she was able to communicate with her friends and he felt very comfortable with her being by herself and he kind of talked about too how even though she was so exceptional languages how basically he felt like through learning being in close proximity with her and having communicate a different way Mm -hmm. that led him to a deeper appreciation of like mankind and how to interact with them because 
He even talks about how um, he said, I think it was her unhindered capacity to let intimacy happen at a glance. So basically how she was so vulnerable and she was so open to making connections with people, being close with people, and how he learned that through someone who couldn't communicate and interact with people in maybe a typical way, Mm -hmm. but she had such a greater depth to make everybody else feel so comfortable and so loved. And so I just thought it was a really interesting story. It kind of ends about how... In the new world where my mother ended her days, you got respect and had equal rights. You thrive with dignity and security. And she liked it better than the old world, but it wasn't her home. And so just kind of how basically she felt so much disconnect between the era she grew up in and where she ended up in. Um, but then how that reflected on um, Andre, the son. And he talked about how much I realized how much I miss it in its immediacy, tactile quality from another age when your face was your bond, but not your words. Mm. I owe this language not to books I read or studied, but to my mother who had who had no faith in and no talent or much patience for words. So it's so interesting, like the whole idea of just like language and deafness and how he felt like. Through his mom, he learned so much better how to communicate with people and be closer with people. Yeah. I just thought it was really beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah. yeah, because honestly, I think we all lose that too in our time with our iPads and our phones. Right. And are like, you know, we use words to connect with people. But in reality, she taught him how to love someone deeper than words. Mm-hmm. And so I think that sounds like she was a good mom. Yeah. So this was a happier essay. And this was Are You Listening by Andre Eichmann. So we're about to wrap this up. There are 11 essays still left in this book that you guys can go back and read for yourselves. We didn't want to spoil too much of it for you, but we did want to give you our rating and our final thoughts. So Sadie, what did you think about this book? Yeah, I thought um, on a scale of one to five, I'm giving it a five. Like, it's incredible. I think it's very difficult, um, heavy themes. I think it talks about a lot of things that are uncomfortable sometimes to read and to sit with. But I think that's why also literature is so important because it addresses Mm -hmm. themes that either are difficult to speak about or don't come up frequently in conversation. But I think the more you read about things that bring up emotions in you, that bring up memories in you, I think it's important. So, yeah, I think this book is really, really well written. Um, Like we said, there's so many different types of relationships with mothers in here that I think you'd feel very – you'd feel like there's one to relate to. Mm -hmm. And so I think you'd feel very seen reading this book. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend it. I think – I would recommend it with, obviously, the trigger warning over yeah. it just so people understand what they're going to be reading. Um, but, yeah, I think it's an incredible book. I think it's well-written. I would definitely recommend it. Yeah. What about you? Um, I would also give it a five. Oh, my gosh. We've been reading books in our book club, and it feels like they've all been ones. So it's been so nice <laughs> to read something that was a yeah. five. Yes. Um, uh, oh, my gosh. About this book, I just – I think as a mother – I would recommend it to every mother. Yeah. Just because, like, even being able to relate to some things in every person's story. Right. You know, for myself, being a child, it was so nice to be seen and being like, okay, it's really good to know that I wasn't alone in a lot of these areas, yeah. even though it's so sad that so many children right. go through this. But on top of this, as a mother, I got to, like you said, be able to look at different perspectives um, from other people's lives and say, like, okay, I don't want to be like that. Right. Yes. Right. I don't. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a warning to yourself because my children are so young. Right. You know, one's not even born yet. Like my <laughs> children are so young. The other ones, too. Yeah. Um, it's like being able to look at this and learn from other people's mistakes. That's what I love about right. books. That's what I love about just like nonfiction in general right. is that like there's truth that is coming from it. Yeah. And just reading through this, I was like, OK, I'm going to make sure I do my best to yeah. keep my baby safe. I'm yes. going to make sure that no matter what friendship I am in, relationship I am in, like it will be a healthy one. It will be one that 
my children can look back on fondness with because mm-hmm. if there's a part two to this book and my son writes yeah. in it, <laughs> I really want him to say that he came from a loving home. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one thing that I really took away from this is that like even in, you know, Lamont's book is that we need to love each other better. Yeah. You know, and that starts with being a mom that starts with being like whoever even if you're not a mom or you're a sister or whatever it's like the people that you have an influence on it's like recognize that you have that power yeah the people that you're in a relationship with take responsibility of that relationship exactly like Mm -hmm. you have we have so much more power than we think Mm -hmm. um and so yeah I i would give it a five but wow wow incredible well you guys go follow us on instagram if you want to have an opinion on some of the books we're reading next. Um, if you also want to read the book that we're going to talk about next week, um, it'll be on the Instagram. So go follow us. Um, we're going to also have the sexual abuse hotline number yes. in our show notes. Um, hopefully, you know, if that is, we don't want it to apply, but if it does apply to you or if it does apply for someone that um, is in your life that you can um, give this to, we just want to have some resources available. So those will be in the show notes as well. But yeah. Yep. We will see you guys next week we on love an you episode guys. of Novelty. Bye. Bye. Bye.